Welcome to Integrative Medicine Solutions with Forum Health, the podcast. Our nationwide network of integrative and functional medicine providers believe in a new standard of healthcare, one that creates optimal health by focusing on partnering with you, understanding your needs, learning about your unique health history, and getting to the root cause of your concerns. Using advanced testing, emerging therapies, and the latest technology, Forum Health providers are at the forefront of integrative and functional health care for all. Your journey to better health starts here. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for a special webinar on Unlocking the Mystery, Diagnosing and Treating Your Unexplained Symptoms. My name is Britt with Forum Health. We are an expanding nationwide network of industry-leading healthcare providers who serve patients with a root cause approach to care. Our practitioners have decades of functional and integrative medicine experience drawn from areas in anti-aging, environmental medicine, chronic disease, lifestyle medicine, and much more. All right, let's get started. Our panelists tonight are Dr. Wally Taylor from our Austin, Texas location, and Dr. Clayton Bell from our Asheville, North Carolina clinic. Dr. Taylor is a board certified physician with over 40 years of medical experience. He focuses on the role environmental toxins play in causing chronic complex illness symptoms. He's also completed training from ILADS for the treatment of tick-borne illnesses, including Lyme and co-infections. He's passionate about helping people unlock their body's natural capacity for healing. And Dr. Bell is an Institute for Functional Medicine certified physician who combines cutting edge functional and integrative medicine treatments with holistic lifestyle recommendations and ancient healing traditions from Ayurvedic medicine. This allows patients to be seen and heard on a physical, psychological, emotional, and spiritual levels. He believes the common thread to optimizing vitality and health lies with empowering, encouraging, and engaging the person to heal themselves from the inside out. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you so much for speaking with us tonight. Very much. Glad to be here. Well, it's now estimated that 25 million Americans have an undiagnosed condition, and nearly half the population suffers from at least one chronic illness, often experiencing mystery symptoms with little to no relief. These conditions can be incredibly frustrating and painful, but luckily today we have two experts in chronic illnesses to shed some light on the topic and offer some hope. So Dr. Taylor, to start off, what are the most common symptom, symptoms of hidden chronic illnesses? Yeah, Brittany, you know, the, the symptoms of what I call environmental illness or environmentally induced illness, or sometimes I just call it chronic complex illness, are, are kind of, it's a group of symptoms. Uh, no two patients seem like they come in with exactly the same uh, combination of those symptoms, but at the top of that list, I would say is persistent or chronic fatigue. Um, probably just under that is one that I like to term brain fog. That's not a true medical term, but it's a pretty good descriptive term that my patients say they just lack mental clarity. Sometimes they lack, lack word finding ability or short-term memory. After that, I would say probably mood symptoms, especially persistent anxiety, just a feeling of fear. Um, under that, I would list digestive symptoms. Uh, number one on the list seems to be bloating after eating. It's a pretty common digestive symptom that we see. Some of them are symptoms that people would maybe call irritable bowel syndrome. Um, underneath that, I would say a whole variety of uh, pain syndromes, aches and pains, whether it be headache pain, joint pain, muscle pain, bone pain, just things hurt. Um, down beneath that, I would say would be hypersensitivity symptoms, such as pain from noises or smells being very objectionable, sometimes certain sights, touches, uh, that their sense of sensitivity is just over, over the top. Uh, down underneath that, I would probably say various symptoms from disordered immune system, uh, either an overactive immune system or an underactive immune system, uh, common to see. And then kind of rounding it all out, I would say hormone abnormalities of various kinds, because a lot of times our organs of, of endocrine, hormone-producing organs, 
will get caught up and affected by these environmental illnesses. But one of the common uh, running across all of these, I would say a key word would be inflammation, which I'm sure we'll get into talking a bit more about exactly what that means. That's great. Dr. Bell, you know, knowing all these symptoms now, what are some of the top chronic illnesses that could be associated with these symptoms? Yeah, this is a great question. And I don't know about you, Dr. Taylor, but usually when I'm seeing folks with these mystery symptoms or conditions, there's usually lots of things that are tying into it. Uh, the more unexplained symptoms a person has, usually the more, um, more really often, I think, more of like a root cause at the, inter at the underlying um, epicenter of it that really just manifests itself in a lot of different ways. So some of the things that I typically see the, the most of when people come in and they've been sick for a long period of time, they've seen lots of different doctors and no one can really give them a straight answer. Um, but Lyme disease is at the very top of the list. Um, I'm seeing oftentimes like a new Lyme patient or a new patient with Lyme maybe every every day, two days, sometimes several in a day. Um, and, you know, mold as well. So, you know, we do a lot of you know, mycotoxin testing, so we find molds there. Those are the two that I'd say right off the bat. Um, and then underneath that, you know, a lot of times, you know, with the immediate gas and bloating after meals, you know, we'll think of hypochlorhydria. Um, and, you know, a lot of times people are given medicine for acid reflux, but a lot of times it's actually more common they have low stomach acid. So that creates a lot of digestive issues, including SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So when people come in and they're really gassy and bloated and they have trouble eating healthy foods, um, so I had this myself, right? Like can't do beans or lentils anymore, you know? So being vegan wasn't really a good option uh, anymore. And it's time I had really bad SIBO, you know? And so all the things I was doing to try to be healthy were really working against me. Um, but, you know, honestly, when you start tracing back to, because I see a lot of people with cancer as well, but when you do see folks that have like autoimmune cancer, cardiometabolic syndromes, Lyme, chronic EBV, chronic viral infections, GI issues, you know, one of the things that I really start thinking about is adverse childhood events. Too because it really does make a huge difference what happens in that first seven years of life. But not only that, but what actually happens, you know, in utero, right? Um, and then what happened to your parents and their parents, their parents, because a lot of those methylation and genetic markers and just the, the way the brain neuroarchitecture and neural networking gets uh, myelinated and then passed down via generation. So, you know, traumas, chronic stresses, those kind of things underlie a lot of these medical conditions. So it's kind of vague, but those are the things that once we really start filling back the layers and getting out of the root cause analysis, you know, and inflammation, obviously, like Dr. Taylor's saying, you know, which can precipitate all these things too. Those are some of the things we see. You know, Dr. Taylor, I know it was great, Dr. Bell, you mentioned inflammation, trauma. Dr. Taylor, what are some other main causes of mystery illnesses that you see? Yeah, for me, um, I always, we always talk our, to our patients about underlying root cause being a combination, as, as Clayton referred to, it's never just one. It, it's always a, a soup or a potpourri of different exposures that begin even at the instant of conception. So we know that babies are already born with a substantial exposure to toxins in the womb and then with childbirth. So it's a cumulative exposure to a wide variety of toxicants, which are not biologic. They would be like pesticides, for example and then biological toxins, um, as well as even toxic life experiences, which he was referring to with the early childhood trauma. But in my experience over the years, I've learned that, that various life events can be just as big factors of inducing and propagating this chronic environmental illness as the actual toxins themselves. Sometimes I'll use an analogy of the straw that breaks the camel's back. And so I like that analogy a lot because first of all, it, it makes us focus on the fact that it's not just one straw, it's always a combination of straws. And also finally a straw will break the camel's back. And a lot of times that may not even be the main straw, it's just the final straw. And it also allows us to talk about the camel's back which in that analogy actually uh, implies the patient's resistance to you know, the various stresses and toxins. And so we do spend a lot of time in our work with patients to try to improve their own personal sensitivity or said another way, we try to make their camels back stronger. 
And Dr. Bell, why do you feel like conventional medicine oftentimes misdiagnoses or even dismisses these mystery symptoms? That's a great question. Um, and I've thought a lot about that. You know, and I was even coming from like an academic center, um, university center where I was at for five and a half years prior to coming to Forum Health, you know, even even my my thought processes have changed too. And a lot of it I think is exposure and it's education. You know, I mean, I started off family medicine and then I went and got board certified in integrative medicine. And then I was like, there was a subset of people that I couldn't, I wasn't able to help get better. And so then I found functional medicine. It's like, oh, okay, you know, so you keep, and as you kind of get further and further out there, you start learning about new things. Like I remember, um, I'll be honest, two, three years ago, when people came to me and said they had chronic Lyme or chronic EBV, I realized like, is that a real thing? Because in medical school, you're taught it's not, you know, you're taught you give doxy for two weeks and you move on. You know, and now it's like, you know, about a year ago, I found out I had Lyme disease. You know, I tested myself and I'm like, oh, wow, this, this makes sense. You know, and so then you start like digging into it and learning and you're like, oh my God, there's a whole world here and a whole world of literature that I didn't even know existed. Um, and so I think part of the problem is as physicians, we're just not educated on how to teach people how to be healthy, nevertheless, find underlying causes of uh, medical conditions. The second problem is that our medical industrial complex is not really set up to be able to spend sufficient time with somebody to dig in this deep. So, you know, with Form Health, you know, I, I get to spend a long time with my patients. You know, I get to spend 90 minutes on a new patient visit and then my follow-ups are in between 30 and 60 minutes, depending on the complexity. But if you're stuck being a primary care doctor and you're seeing 25 people a day and you get 10 minutes per patient and you got to write your note after that, I mean, you literally have time to say, hey, how's it going? Good to see you. Oh, your blood pressure's high. Take this pill. I'll see you in three weeks. You know, how's your wife? And you got to move on. Otherwise, you're not going to get to go home and see your family. And so it's it's not even really fair to the practitioners because they don't they don't even have a chance, you know, to dig in that deep with patients. Um, and then I, you know, I think that the the other component to that is, you know, kind of this um, cognitive dissonance. I think you know, as physicians, you know, we we tend to be fairly intellectual people, you know, that that have had you know a fair amount of uh, of training. And so you have to have some level of intellectual aptitude to, to withstand that, or at least perseverance. And then what happens is you get conditioned to think you're supposed to know all the answers. So someone comes in with symptoms X, Y, and Z, you're supposed to be able to diagnose it, um, give them the right treatment, and they're supposed to get better, which is totally unreasonable. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. Um, you know, life is so much more complex than, you know, this constellation of clusters and this disease and that drug. It's, that's so simplistic and, and non-effective ultimately in so many cases. Um, but what happens is when you're instilled in this thought process and then you're basically positively reinforced that you're supposed to be the expert in it, and then someone comes in with something that potentially violates your 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 rigorously held belief system or is new information to you, we tend to dismiss it. It'd be the same way if someone came in and they say, hey, I understand that you adhere to diet X or religion Y. And I think you're wrong. And I have new information that might put that um, might make you second guess that. And so I think, you know, the the tendency, especially for someone who's, who's um, perhaps more egoic um, in nature anyway, as most physicians are, you know, is just to basically say, oh, well, that's not real. That's not true, um, because basically it's like a self-defense mechanism. I don't know about it and I don't have the capacity to learn about it or, or deal with it. So it must not be a, a reality. And so I think that's not an excuse for physicians, but I think that's what happens a lot of times philosophically, to be totally honest. Can I make one little comment there? Yes, yeah. Excellent, excellent summary. I agree completely. One of the things that I, I, I seem to think is a big cause of this issue is that I think modern medicine today is primarily what I would call Band-Aid medicine. And a mm. lot of it is driven by uh, the factors of, the pharmaceutical industry and the overall organization of, of medicine today. And basically, doctors are, are taught to really just select an individual uh, approach to treatment, usually a drug, that's going to provide cover-up of the symptoms. And there's really not a lot of interest or concern into thinking about, could there be an underlying root cause that could be either avoided or eliminated? So that's the first thing. And then the other thing I would say is there's really not much emphasis put on this concept of the patient's personal sensitivity, which almost said another way is just talking about wellness or optimization of a patient's function. And I think 
the lack of, of uh, emphasis on both of those things is really one of the biggest things. You know, like, like you, uh, Clayton, I started off as an ear, nose, and throat surgeon, and it was really frustration over some of the more unusual symptom pictures that I was seeing that I found out that I just didn't have the tools in the toolbox to deal yes. with. And so, you know, I started really, you know, what do they say? Uh, curious minds want to know. I mean, I, I wanted to know, and it didn't take me very long to figure out that a lot of these patients, it were things that they were getting in front of in their lives that were was what was really messing them up and making them unable to be taken care of through traditional ways. And at first I was just kind of dabbled at it. Well, why don't you think about drinking clean water and not drinking your tainted well water? Or why don't, you know, just, why don't you try to not live in a really moldy home? You right. know, some of those kinds of things. And, you know, once we started seeing some success and started learning a little bit more about the, some of the tenets of functional and environmental medicine, it just kind of snowballed and it became more and more exciting to be able to work with people. You know, I'm, I'm sure our audience is now thinking, well, how do I know if I have one of these illnesses? So I'd love to know, what advanced testing do you use as a functional medicine provider? And Dr. Taylor, I would love to start with you. Yeah, that's a great question. And I will honestly say this might be a little bit of a shock to people. But for me and my practice, uh, a very thorough patient history, which usually starts off with a questionnaire that we've devised that really goes in. It takes a, a while to fill that questionnaire out. But I really think that probably about 80% of what I need to really develop a successful treatment plan for any individual is, is probably based off of that. Uh, and that also includes, of course, the patient providing for me any prior uh, you know, evidence that they can of previous treatments, previous lab tests, uh, x-rays, anything like that. I consider that part of the history for me to, to get that information. But then beyond that, I would say we do get some information from a physical examination or laying hands on, as they say. And I would say, actually, that's not that big of a, a part of what I use as a uh, set of data. And then beyond that, there's a whole bunch of other tests that we can talk about that involve sampling blood or urine or stool or even breath. Uh, and then there's a bunch of functional tests that can be done. But I would say those basically uh, revolve around two sets of information. First of all, on the one hand, we're looking to try to find out what are some of the toxins and other threats that that patient might be uh, being exposed to. And then on the other side of the coin, there's tests that we can run that will give us insight into that camel's back. In other words, are they nutrient deficient or you know, are there other factors of diet, lifestyle, nutrition that might be affecting their ability to resist those various threats from the environment. That's great. And then Dr. Bell, I would love to know what you what you do at your clinic as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you, Dr. Taylor, about the history being the most important thing. And that really cues us, you know, where to look when we go for the, you know, in-depth testing analysis. Some of the ones that I use most commonly are like a tick-borne panel, um, specifically an aminoblot by uh, Vibrance, the one that we use. You know, Igenix is a great test too. You know, that gives us, um, you know, all different, you know, Borrelia uh, subspecies as well as Bartonella babesia, Rickettsia, Ehrlichia, EBV, and a lot of other viruses. So that test has just really totally changed my medical practice. Um, other ones that we do, uh, urine mycotoxin testing is, is really great, especially when we can't figure out what's going on with this person, why can't we get them better? Um, you know, that's a really good test. We often find, you know, they and kind of they have mold in the home, what have you, and they're still living in a moldy environment. Like you said, Dr. Taylor, they're typically not going to get that much better, you know, or not to the level that we want them to. Um, adrenal testing, I like that a lot. I like looking at, you know, salivary cortisol levels throughout the day. Um, you know, the breath testing with SIBO is great. Stool analysis, looking at, you know, um, like I like Genova's GIFX profile, but there's a lot of different tests out there that look at that. And, you know, they give you a lot of, you know, functional markers, you know, pancreatic enzyme levels, as well as infections. So a lot of times we'll find, oh, you have a blastocyst infection. Okay, well, that's probably why you've been having these symptoms or, you know, you're missing all these, say, good bacteria and you have all these, you know, dysbiotic bacteria in there. So let's change that around. Uh, those are some of the ones I use the most often that I find to be just extremely helpful. And food sensitivities too. You know, sometimes if you catch a good food sensitivity test and 
you know, you can change around a diet a little bit. And people are like, oh my God, I had no idea. Eggs were bothering me, ate them every day. You know, or, or oftentimes it's gluten, usually gluten, dairy, and eggs are the top three. And then I'd say soy after that. And then random things that, you know, are typically healthy, you know, like almonds and what have you, that people eat a lot of. And so that gives us also insight into if they have leaky gut or not, you know, which is another, you know, um, important um, thing. So those, and then of course we run like, you know, lab panels at blood tests too. You know, it's really important looking at, you know, HSCRP or SED rates. So if someone has inflammation, um, you know, if their ANA flips positive, you know, that autoimmune, you know, um, going on. So, you know, those are all things I want to know. Uh, methylation markers, so MTHFR mutations or homocysteine levels. If they're not methylating, you know, that can predispose them to a lot of different medical conditions. So it really just depends on the patient and how aggressive they want to be with the testing. But I, I really like it because the more we know, the more precise we can be with our treatment. So, um, you know, I kind of... I say, you know, we, we guess till we test. Um, and, you know, usually I, I, I have a good, you know, inclination, but then sometimes I'm caught off guard. I'm like, oh, I didn't expect that. Mm, you know, good thing we checked. So it makes you wonder what we, what I'm missing by not testing enough. But, you know, I try to just be super judicious, you know, with people's resources too. Um, and, you know, try to be a good steward to, to help them navigate that. Because obviously we don't want to do every test under the sun, but we want to do as much as we possibly can to get the best bang for their buck and help them get well as quickly as possible. Definitely. About trying to practice from a value perspective, because it's really easy to do a lot of testing uh, that ends up spending the patient's money. And, and a lot of this isn't covered, unfortunately, by some of the insurance companies. But, you know, I kind of have a little more utilitarian approach to let's do what we need to do to get that patient well and functioning normally. And, you know, if we don't have to, uh, you know, turn a rock over uh, to get a person better, maybe, maybe we don't turn that rock over. That makes sense. That's good, that reminds me of like medical school, you know, they always taught us don't, you don't order a test unless it's going to change your treatment, you know, so um, you're not just going to order esoteric tests like you're saying, Dr. Taylor, you know, you want to order things that are real specific. And I think, you know, I, I guess that's one thing I'm proud of, you know, I feel like we do a really good job of that. And like you said, you know, at our practice, everything is cash pay. You know, so I really want patients to feel like they're heard, they're validated, you know, and we're really working for them. And they know that, like, hey, like, Dr. Taylor, Dr. Bell, like, they care about me as a person. And I think that goes a long way in the healing process. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. It's so comprehensive and holistic. And to kind of piggyback off of that, Dr. Bell, why do you think people come to you who have these mystery symptoms, come to you as a functional medicine provider? Uh, I think, you know, part of it is, you know, word of mouth, right? Like, oh, well, my wife came and she got a lot better or my neighbor came or, you know, my friend came, you know, so that those are always the best referrals because then you know, I think you're already halfway there, you know, with the healing, with the healing process, you know, you have buy-in and that um, self-healing principle is, is already, you know, ramped up, you know, to a very strong degree. Um, but I mean, we find a lot of people find us honestly, like Google searching and they go, oh, you have really good reviews and it's like you do functional medicine or I'm looking for some of that for weight loss, you know, what have you. Um, but I mean, I think ultimately what keeps people coming back is that we care and we spend time with them and we dig deep. You know, I can't tell you how many people say, tell me, oh, my God, you're the fourth doctor I've seen and nobody listens to me and nobody ever checked that. And, you know, nobody asked me. No one, you know, like today I had a woman come in and she's like, you know, I, please don't laugh at me. Like nobody believes me. You know, and it's like I'm not going to laugh at you. You're going to teach me something. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, and so, you know, I think we just have. You know, I think people that are drawn to this type of medicine are just, you know, we're caring, we're, we're very open-minded, and I think progressive thinking, we're outside the box thinkers, you know, we don't want to, we're not the box tickers, you know, that fit in the little, the little squares, and I think patients like that, you know, because by the time they're coming to us, they're just super health-oriented, or they've seen all the conventional, you know, physicians, and they're like, I got to find somebody who thinks a little differently um, to, to help me get where I want to be, and so that. You know, it's, I think that's what brings them in, and then they love it once they get there. I, I want to underscore what Clayton just said. That for me in my practice, I would say my average patients have have really been seeing multiple providers for whatever symptom complex they're dealing with, and it's it's really out of just desperation and frustration that they find me a lot of times through word of mouth or Google search as somebody that just has some success you know, drilling down on these root causes and, and is able to make some headway for these patients. So that's the first thing. And the other thing is that a lot of my patients just have this in, in, innate 
uh, knowing that they've got to have some kind of underlying root cause and there's got to be something about their personal sensitivity that is just contributing to their ongoing symptoms and signs of illness. So it's kind of really natural for them when we start talking about it, that it all just kind of makes sense to them. And a lot of times providers didn't think about it or didn't voice that, that, that these things might even exist as, as Clayton was saying. Dr. Taylor, what are some lifestyle changes that someone can make to either reduce their symptoms or even decrease the chance of developing a chronic illness? Um, do you recommend a detox or what are some other ideas that you have for that? You know, we, we usually first start talking about uh, the, the role of these toxins and toxic life experiences and how important it is to avoid future exposure. So that, that's probably the first thing that we really have to emphasize, whether it's traumatic life relationships uh, or whether it's living in a moldy home or drinking well water that's tainted with some sort of chemical or heavy metal toxin. It's always avoidance of future exposure. And then after that, we start talking about elimination of those toxins from the body. And that is basically detox, you know, basically relying on the patient's own systems of toxin elimination, whether it be sweating in a sauna or, you know, using their kidneys or their liver, you know, to get rid of these toxins and so supporting that. We spend a lot of time talking about uh, their cellular health or their overall functionality uh, at the cellular level. And that usually involves starting with their eating and drinking plan. Uh, but then from there, we often end up talking about other nutrients that, that their cells need to be completely functional, which, which in turn, when you have healthy cells, you're going to have healthy organs and healthy tissues and healthy systems. So it's, it's a combination of diet, which is fundamental, uh, and then lifestyle, you know, getting good sleep, you know, doing the right kind of movement, um, those kinds of things. So. Those would be the, the main tenets, looking at it from a 30,000 foot level. And Dr. Bell, what should someone do if they, if they suspect they have a chronic illness? Call us. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I think, you know, you know, even before you get in to, to see us, I mean, obviously like, you know, the foreign health providers all around the country will be more than happy to, to help you um, in that world. But, I mean, even before you get in and make the first appointment, do some of the things Dr. Taylor was talking about. Start eating clean, you know, get get off of, you know, highly processed foods and, you know, quit eating, you know, sugar, you know, and, um, and uh, you know, get good sleep at night, you know, start exercising every day if you can. Obviously, if you have like chronic fatigue syndrome or adrenal insufficiency, you know, or those things might not be, or if you have chronic Lyme and you, oh, if I exercise, I get set back for three days, you know, or that that's a different story. But in general, you know, move your body. Um, eat clean, you know, de-stress. So like find the triggers that are the biggest stressors in your life, you know, and try to either modify or eliminate those things. And then like I tell us that, you know, the environmental, you know, aspect would be like, you know, kind of the fifth foundation of that, you know, so for me, it's like work on nutrition, you know, physical activity, stress resiliency, sleep, and then, you know, environmental toxins. And I mean, honestly, if, if you maximize all those things to the best of your ability, that's going to be way more powerful than anything I can do for you. You know, that's the foundation of your health. Yeah. And then I'd love to know, Dr. Taylor, I want to start with you first. Can you share a patient success story who has benefited from advanced functional medicine testing and treatment? Yeah, well, you know, I could probably tell you about a few of those, but one of them that really comes to mind that I'm, I'm really proud of, and this is a, a young lady, I think she's in her early 30s, mother, has small children, wonderful, wonderful girl. And when she first came to me, she had been desperately ill. I mean, basically bedridden, couldn't function as a mom, couldn't function as a wife. Uh, she had been living in a real moldy indoor environment, actually back in Florida. Um, so we, we started off, we identified mold as one of her big issues and we started to deal with that. She got some better, but then she her symptom complex kind of changed and she started developing problems with uh, frequent high fevers, and I'm talking 105, 106 degrees, and a, and a diffuse kind of a hive-like rash, and, and basically just still couldn't function. 
And she actually was diagnosed by some traditional uh, providers, rheumatology providers, as having a, a disorder that's known as Stills disease, which is kind of an unknown kind of autoimmune disease. And she was being treated with steroids and other even stronger immunosuppressive drugs and was getting some, you know, she could function, but she was not well. So, you know, I kept at her because from my perspective, I really believed as I do with almost all autoimmune diseases that she had underlying root causes which had just not been adequately identified. So one of the things that we did was we run, ran the test that Clayton referred to a little bit ago, the Vibrant test, which looks at immune response and it looks for, for, for bacterial and, and pathogen DNA to about 43 different pathogens. Now that's 43 of what I tell my patients is a group of probably over 4,000 potential pathogens. And we don't have the test for all 4,000, but anyway, using that test, I was able to identify that this young lady had uh, several uh, what we call vector-borne infections. And then she also had uh, uh, toxoplasma infection, which is a, a protozoal uh, pathogen that's often seen in other animals like cats and so forth. Uh, but anyway, we put her on a regimen to try to knock back some of those germs. And uh, also we treated her ability to, her, her immune system to defend her against those. And lo and behold, over a period of time, she completely cleared. And we, we now have her now two or three months since she's had a fever, since she's had a rash. She's now down to less than, five milligrams of prednisone every other day from doses of at one time 50 milligrams a day plus. And she's now she she's really functioning well. She's kind of resumed her role as a wife and mother. So that's been a super gratifying case of mine that I've, I've recently seen. Now I will say for her, one of the other things that's common to many of my patients is that we worked a lot on her threat response. And by that, I mean that when there are toxins and when there are toxic life experiences, one of the main mechanisms of, of the signs and symptoms of illness is that the threat brain goes into a setting of danger, uh, whether you call it fight or flight or just the threat response. And we worked with that individual to develop a daily routine to try to calm that threat brain. And I think that was really material in terms of helping her recover. Wow, I love hearing stories like that. That was wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Um, Dr. Bell, do you have any patient stories you'd like to share as well? Yeah, sure. Um, gosh, uh, you know, it, it's kind of it's kind of funny. Um, you almost like I just kind of expect everybody to get better. You know, there there is a certain subset of people who you know you try everything and it's like I'm sorry, you know, I'm, you know, we're not getting where we want to be. But it, it I mean when people come in and some people are like, like Dr. are they really debilitated? You know, they are just hurting in a big way. And it's like, it's, it's so fun to be part of their journey and, and watch them, you know, recover and get better. Um, a couple of just kind of quick, quick things that are coming to my mind right now. Um, I have a lady who I've been seeing for gosh, a year or two now, and she has this, you know, chronic stress from her job, um, which she's trying to work on retiring right now. But then also, you know, she has this chronic musculoskeletal pain, especially in the shoulders and neck, and she's in all types of treatments for it and everything else under the sun. And, you know, we finally said, like, you know what, like, we haven't checked you for, for you know, Lyme, run this, you know, this pathogen panel that you're talking about. Turned out she had Lyme, she had Bartonella, she had Babesia, she had a whole slew of things. We wound up getting, like, she ordered seven SOTs for people that know what that is, are like gene silencing therapies, infusions that we give patients for these different um, conditions. And I got a message back the other day from her saying, oh, feeling great. You know, shoulder pain, you know, back pain, about 90% resolved right now. And it's like, whoa, that was fast. You know, um, I, I have I have one that was a really interesting one that comes back. This is from a few years ago, but I had a patient and middle-aged lady. Um, she had developed vertigo and it had gotten so debilitating. She had done things like steroid injections in the ear. She'd done every, you know, medicine under the sun. She had to quit work and get on disability. And we ran a food sensitivity panel on her. It turned out she had a significant IgG food sensitivity to a, uh, to dairy and uh, and eggs. And so we literally got her off of dairy and eggs within a, within a month, her symptoms completely resolved. And she had gone from disability to like no symptoms whatsoever. 
And I was just amazed at how much of an impact, you know, the, the own immune system could have, you know, on, on our body and our symptoms. And so that was, that was pretty awesome to watch that. Yeah, that, that's incredible. Well, it gives people their life back. That's what you yeah, both do. You give, give their life back, which is an, an incredible gift to have. Um, before we wrap up tonight, and we will be taking questions from the audience shortly, I would love to ask you each, what is one thing that you'd like our audience to take away from? I know we talked about a lot of different things tonight, but what is one thing you'd like them to take away with, uh, from tonight? Dr. Bell, I'd love to start with you. Yeah, I'd say the first thing, um, what I encourage everybody to do is uh, take ownership of your health and take your power back. I mean, don't farm it out to me as a physician or any other doctor or person out there. I mean, we're here as you know consultants for you to help you navigate this journey. But I mean, this is your health, your body, your mind, your spirit, you know, like take ownership of that, um, you know, and just do everything you can in, in your in your power. Um, you know, I have I have patients that I see a lot of folks with cancer and I have patients that are perfectly happy to do, you know, um, you know, major surgeries, um, you know, chemotherapy, radiation and all those things can be appropriate in the right context. Um, but they don't want to change their diet and what they uh, ate that predisposes them to getting cancer in the first place. So it's like, you know, if you can find something in the bioterrain that left you susceptible to certain medical condition and it's modifiable, please, I would say, you know, do it. And then, you know, in general too, it's like, don't, just don't farm out your own power to the medical system. You know, it's like, let us serve you in your own healing process. You know, don't come into the office and be like, I need you to fix me. It's like, I don't do that. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll help you heal yourself. You know, and so that I think that's the biggest thing, because when we do feel in our own power, you know, our, our healing process is so much more, so much stronger. And if we're relying on even like a pharmaceutical or an herb or someone else to give it to us, you know, we want to try to find that within and pull it out. Yeah. And Dr. Taylor. Yeah. You know, that's that's a great question. I really feel like um, from my perspective probably one of the most important things I'd like for my patients to take away is, is just to have hope that uh, even though I cannot promise that every patient is going to get well or even get better, uh, from my experience, I've seen so many examples of like these cases that we just talked about where we have seen people that have struggled and have been to see so many providers and tried so many different things without much success, maybe some, but but a long way from where you want to be, uh, just to tell them that I really believe that it's not unreal for them to have hope. And I think that with work together and again, them taking ownership, as Clayton said, and yeah, they've got to be willing to, uh, you know, do something on their own behalf, but that people, people see people get better and with consistency. Well, gentlemen, thank you so very much. This was such great information, and hopefully it's offered some hope to our audience tonight, at least some more information to our audience. Um, so now I'd love to open up the class to, to any questions you have. We'll probably take the next 10 to 15 minutes to answer any of your burning questions. Before we jump on the questions, yeah. I just to another comment. Uh, sure. We are trying to make my practice available to people that aren't just local to our Austin area. Uh, we're working on ways that maybe we can basically provide some answers for people that might even live outside of our area, even perhaps even outside of my state, Texas. But uh, that's in the works. And uh, so I would encourage people that maybe want to interact with me or even with Dr. Bell, that they should pursue those, those avenues because I, I think we can probably get that done for them. Definitely. Uh, so let's see, Isabel just wrote in, she said, what environmental factors contribute to chronic fatigue and inflammation? Yeah, so I'm going to maybe take it from a little bit different direction, but, you know, I believe that fatigue and inflammation both very much have to do with this threat brain that I referred to a minute ago. And, and what we know is that when the, the, the brain, that part of the brain that's there to determine if we're safe or not, when it gets signals of danger because of the sum total of all the toxins and toxic life experiences, then it responds with this predictable, what we call a threat response. 
And, and that's ancient. Even our ancient prehistoric ancestors had that same response to threat. But there's a couple things that come from that threat response. One of them is it causes the mitochondria, which creates all of our energy, to go into a state of partial shutdown. And I believe more than anything, that explains the fatigue that is at the top of the list for, for virtually all of my patients. The other thing that seems to happen when the brain perceives threat is that it upregulates these various defense mechanisms, such as our sensitivities to smell and taste and touch, but also the immune system. It actually can kick the immune system into a state of hypersensitivity or overdrive. And when that happens, I think that actually generates most of this inflammation, allergy, autoimmunity, whatever you want to call, uh, call it. I tend to call it immune self-injury. And I like people to think of it like almost like they might think of friendly fire in a war. But when the brain is not in a state of danger or threat, then those things tend to dissipate. So that's clearly the most fundamental thing that we have to focus on. And that's why I try to always teach my patients to work with self-calming to the extent that they can. Uh, so another person wrote in, do you recommend a brain retraining program based on neuroplasticity as part of the reco uh, recovery strategy? That's great. Yeah, and there's you know a lot of different programs out there. Um, you know, I know um, you know Annie Hopper has a program. I'm gonna forget the acronym for that. Is it DN? DNR. Yeah, DNRS. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, you know, there's the Safe and Sound Protocol. Um, of, uh, you know, Stephen Forges. You know, with the polyvagal theory, um, there are you know tapping. You know, tapping is, is one that you know people can do. Um, you know, my wife even does some neuroplasticity manual therapy through an organization called MNRI. So I've seen you know a lot of kids with autism and um, you know cerebral palsy and those kind of things with that. Um, that's one that we've done personally, which is kind of interesting. Um, they're based out of Florida, but um, yeah, God, there's so many things. Uh, the dolphin. We we have patients come into the dolphin vagal nerve stimulator. Um, you know. Meditation, yoga, pranayama, all those things are good. I mean, even, you know, in the future, you know, psychedelic medicine will be utilized for that. That creates a lot of neuroplasticity in the brain. One more studies are coming out with that. Obviously, that needs to be done in a, um, in a, uh, you know, in, in an environment that's conducive, you know, to healing uh, for that. But, um, yeah, there's, there's so many things out there that I think can retrain your brain. I mean, you know, um, everything you learn and every new experience you have is creating neuroplasticity and creating new neural networks in your brain. You know, and the neurons that, you know, fire together, wire together. So I think just really being intentional about what you're bringing into your body, you know, not just food wise to and toxins, but also energetically, um, you know, um, sounds and, 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 you know, media, right? Like, you know, if you're, if you're in a state of chronic stress and, you know, chronic danger, then you should not be watching the news every day. You know, you should be out watching the butterflies and the birds in the backyard. Your perception of the universe and the world is going to be very different. Yeah. I, I will say one thing. I, I do have a YouTube channel, uh, Wally Taylor MD or Austin Forum Health is the title of that YouTube channel. But I have a playlist on that that's available to anybody that's interested. It's called Treating Toxic Life Experiences. And it kind of goes into some of the various options that Clayton was just talking about. Uh, some of them are just some videos I've uploaded and some of them are even some interviews that I've done with some people involved in this. Um, but one of them, I'll, I'll put one plug in for a specific program called VitalSide, V-I-T-A-L hyphen S-I-D-E. But that's a program that was a, a variant of Annie Hopper's DNRS system, which was actually created by a patient of mine, a physician assistant patient of mine that had a rather miraculous recovery once she got plugged into one of these um, neuroplasticity programs and so as a result of that, she created her own. And she's now working with people globally, she and her team. But it's a combination of training plus coaching. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I had so many of my patients come back and tell me, thank you for pointing me in that direction. But it's, it's vital side. It's the, the one I really like. That's great. Um, a really good question just came in that I'm personally interested in. Can Epstein-Barr virus be reactivated? And if so, 
what are the symptoms and what are the causes? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those things that's always going to be there. You had mono, you know, you're always going to have EBV. Um, you know, it doesn't mean it's going to be active all the time. It doesn't mean it's going to be causing your symptoms. You know, um, truth is, when we started in this advanced testing, what I found is everybody's got Lyme too. You know, I, I would have never guessed that, but I've tested over 100 people now and every single person has immune reactivity to some Borrelia species or Bartonella or Babesia or some combination thereof. Um, it doesn't mean they have an active infection from it, but it's just kind of one of those contributing factors, right, that could potentially break the camel's back. Um, and so it's like we live with parasites. I'm sure we all have parasites. You know, they clove off this uh, over millennia. So, yes, you're going to have it. Does that mean it's going to um, cause you problems? No, not necessarily. You know, same way with cancer. Every single person watching this webinar now has cancer. You know, will you ever know that you have those cancer cells? Hopefully not. Hopefully the immune system is going to pick them up and get rid of them. And it's not going to be a big deal, but I mean, you create them every single day and you're means to fix them up every day. So it's it's more about learning how to like live with these things where they're not um, an issue in our life. and They're not causing any medical problems as opposed to completely eliminating them from our body. That's great. You know, I, I do have a slightly different take than maybe I was taught in medical school about these pathogens. But what, what I'm learning is that most of these 4000 pathogens that can cause human disease once they get in our body, it, it would appear that we can almost in no case completely eradicate them to zero. So they basically are evolved to persist in our bodies, whether it be viruses or bacteria or parasites. And so I don't think of these pathogens so much as whether they're activated or not activated. I tend to talk to my patients about smoldering. You know, when you first catch some of these organisms, you might get a serious rip-roaring illness, almost like a forest fire. Let's take mono, for example. Some people, when they get infected with Epstein-Barr virus, they actually get this florid illness that we call mononucleosis. Many people don't. Many people test for mono, Epstein-Barr virus, but they, they never have thought that they acquired that disease. But I tell them, look, you've got the virus and it's smoldering. It's, it's always sending your brain and your immune system certain signals of danger. Uh, and so the role that we need to play in that is what can we do to lower the absolute numbers of those pathogens so that hopefully the immune system will then no longer react in a way that leads to this immune self-injury, which is really where the symptoms come from. A uh, really good question came in. If I strongly suspect I have Lyme and test it negative, should I retest again? Absolutely. So probably the test you got was like an ELISA test with the reflex Western blot. And if it came back positive, you can take it to the bank. You got Lyme. If it came back negative, it's worthless. You know, it's less than 50% sensitive. And by definition, any screening test should be at least 95% sensitive. And the standard test for Lyme, even the Western blot and the ELISA test, they were never actually meant for diagnosis. They were meant for CDC surveillance. Um, they were never meant to diagnose the disease itself, but that's what insurance picked up. So that's what we all get taught to run on people. So yeah, if you're suspicious, you have Lyme, I would 100%, you know, find a provider, you know, in your area, you know, someone like Dr. Taylor, like myself, like other form health providers, other, you know, functional integrated medicine docs that'll run, you know, a full panel on you, you know, with, with indirect like antibody testing or indirect testing with say PCR, what have you. Um, but yeah, I would look at, you know, Vibrance, what, what I use personally, but Igenix is a phenomenal uh, company as well. And there's a couple other that are out there. So I would definitely, get the good testing if you're suspicious yeah you know we don't have the perfect tests for most of these pathogens so many of these tests are immune based which means that they're not testing for the germ directly but they're just testing for the immune system's response and if you don't have a healthy normal immune system maybe you can't always count on that so that would be the first thing i would say the other couple of other points first of all as clayton mentioned i personally believe there's many many people that are carrying some of these pathogens and are not sick at all. I mean, the concept of uh, asymptomatic carrier state, whether it be for Lyme or Epstein-Barr, uh, COVID-19, many of these things. Uh, so I tell patients, you know, the only reason a person might have the Lyme germ and not be sick is because they have a different personal sensitivity than you do. So that, that would be one comment I would make about that. 
And then I just I just think that you know there's so much we can do to control people's symptoms. If we do find, let's say that they have a positive test for Lyme, we can't look at that patient and say, you know, your signs and symptoms of illness, all this fatigue, all this pain, all this bloating and so forth. We can never say that all of your symptoms are being caused by that Lyme germ or by that Epstein-Barr virus. But in most cases in my patients, it's, it's again, it's the combination, the sum total of all the straws on the camel's back. Um, somebody just wrote in and said, are you able to help patients whose primary problem is very difficult chronic pain? Yeah, I would say chronic pain. Uh, yeah, it's it's tough, no question. People that have chronic daily headache, migraines for years, uh, you know, never gone a day without painful stiff, stiff joints. But but almost always in those circumstances, again, it's the sum total of the toxins and toxic experiences in the setting of their own personal ex, uh, sensitivity to those things. And if we start to work on those things, um, we typically uh, very consistently can see people's pain syndromes dissipate and even clear. Now, it's never overnight. I always tell my patients, you know, we're not talking about a quick fix here. Uh, we're talking about a process. And normally we have to resist uh, the desire to go too quickly because sometimes if we try to get people well, super fast, we're just going to make them crash. We're going to just do things faster than their bodies can tolerate, whether it be killing germs or trying to get rid of toxins. So it's always a process and we just try to develop baby steps at first and then, you know, take bigger and bigger steps. And, uh, you know, I think, again, for people to have hope that we have consistently been able to see these people's pain resolve. And I'm sure Clayton would, would a second that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, so when I was at the ET Medical Center, um, I worked really closely with our pain special department, the physician that runs that, Dr. Vanderpool, and I got to be really good friends. And I used to go speak at their pain conferences and everything. And yeah, we we they would take care of the physiological aspect of like the joint injections and everything. Then we would take care of the psychological, emotional, spiritual aspect that precipitated chronic pain. You know, and a lot of times with chronic pain syndromes, you get what's called central sensitization. It's almost like the volume um, on the pain knob got stuck you know, on a, on a nine or a 10. So things that shouldn't hurt as much, you know, the same stimuli that before didn't hurt now does, you know, and those pathways in the brain just basically got like, you know, some are overmyelinated and some some um, negative feedback loops got downregulated, um, say in the spinal cord and what have you. So, you know, you can definitely modulate that and things that help right off the bat are getting good sleep. You know, there's studies that show something as simple as, you know, 20 milligrams of melatonin at night significantly reduces chronic pain and it, because people sleep, you know, it's also anti-inflammatory and antioxidant, what have you, but if you can get someone sleeping, their chronic pain's gonna go down. Um, you know, and, and the same way also with stress. If you can decrease their stress, their pain's gonna go down. They'll be less tight. You know, they'll hold their muscles less tightly. Um, you know, if you can find the underlying infection or what might be precipitating it, you know, you can really help get down to the chronic pain. You know, we see a lot of our folks with, with Lyme disease and EBV, once we treat that underlying infection, their pain gets so much better. And it, it, it sometimes it can happen really fast. I mean, I've even had patients that literally started, you know, antibiotics for Lyme and then within a week or two, you know their pain has resolved significantly or it got a lot worse temporarily because they're having a hurt reaction you know which shows that they need to be treated too but like you said you know all, all in all in due time and then you got to control the hurts and got to control the detox but yeah absolutely take care of a lot of folks with with pain you know we yeah, i use low dose naltrexone a lot and i'd say 60 70 percent people that can be just make a huge difference um so yeah, there's lots of things out there that can help anti-inflammatories you know, there's so many that's great. So someone wrote in, they said, can you help someone who has done all of the testing, Lyme, mold, adrenals, food allergies, gut, everything, tried all the treatments, diet and lifestyle, and still is ill? What do you do for patients like that? I said to Dr. Taylor. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good answer. <laughs> now, I think in my experience, Brittany, I just usually find that, that something's been missed. Uh, maybe they ran the wrong test for Lyme. Uh, maybe they ran the wrong, maybe they didn't even think about uh, something or uh, they didn't consider the patient's sensitivity and some issues around that. Uh, it, it's, it's usually that you can find things that just really haven't been uh, 
appropriately addressed. And uh, I, I would say that for me, it's, it's when I do the things that I think are normally gonna help and people either don't respond or respond very slowly, that's when I usually start thinking, okay, what am I missing? Am I missing uh, the effect of electromagnetic radiation? Am I uh, missing the effect of toxic metals like mercury or lead? Am I missing man-made toxins like pesticides or glyphosate or solvents or flame retardants? Um, am I missing toxic life experiences and the way, the way their brain is responding to these chronic threat responses? Uh, but usually that's what we do. I mean, at, at, for my patients, at the top of my list of toxins from the environment is indoor mold. That's the top. And then under that, I used to say Lyme and co-infections, but since 2020, now I say COVID-19. And even in some cases, vaccinations for COVID-19, because it has to do with the spike protein, which generates a lot of inflammation in the body. And then for me now, Lyme and co-infections like Bartonella and Babesia and other species of Borrelia kind of is in the third place. Uh, and then below that, there's, again, many other toxins, electromagnetic, uh, chemicals, heavy metals, uh, and so forth. And I agree with up to, I mean, you can always find something. I mean, it, you know, the, there, there's so many variables out there. You know, honestly, what I found is the more complex a person is, if I just shut up and listen, they'll typically tell me what's wrong with them. Like on some level, even if it's like subconsciously coming out, like they'll 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 tell me, and then I'll basically help them figure it out, how to test for it, assess it, treat it, what have you. But I mean, yeah, I've, I've never met anyone we couldn't help to some degree, you know, even if it's just giving some hope or support, you know, through the process. So I like what you just said because you know, honestly, one one question that I I find myself saying more more than rarely is, well, what do you think is wrong? Tell me what you think is going on, because people are amazing with their insight, and you know they may not have it exactly right, but a lot of times they will say things in response to that question that really helps guide me to get to the solution for them. And I like what you said earlier about your patients teaching you, because I find that that happens to me all the time, even though I'm pushing 45 years at this, and I'm still learning stuff from patients. You know. <laughs> from their personal experiences and from the research they've done. Uh, but yeah, you never stop learning in this business. Mm -hmm. um, somebody just wrote in and said, what do you recommend to detox from mold? You're the mold expert, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, it kind of depends on avoidance of exposure. That's number one. So if you're living in a moldy environment, you've got to change that. Um, if let's assume that that's been dealt with, then it basically becomes, again, a matter of trying to get 200% out of these mechanisms of detoxification, like the liver and the kidneys. But for me, uh, intestinal binders play a huge role. They take uh, our inherent human uh, evolved capacity to clear toxins uh, up to a whole new level of efficiency. So binders play a very big role in my practice. And I always have my patients take their intestinal binders when they eat, because most of the toxins that we're trying to get them to eliminate are actually coming into their intestinal tract with their liver bile. And that's where the majority of those toxins are coming from. And if you take your binders on an empty stomach, you're not gonna have that opportunity for the charcoal or whatever binder you're using to interact with that bile. And the problem is our, our own evolved system, we end up excreting those toxins in the bile, but then many of them get reabsorbed in, in what's called the um, intestinal hepatic recirculation of toxins. And that's, a, that's just the way we've evolved because I think our ancient ancestors didn't have the volume of toxins to deal with. Now there's others too. I mean, for me, the most important nutrient that I ever talked to my patients about is glutathione, and we, we can have a whole another hour devoted just to the role of glutathione. Uh, I also like uh, a nutrient called glutarate, which we usually uh, recommend recommended as a what's called calcium D-glutarate or CDG. 
but that tends to really enhance the liver's ability to take toxins from the blood and, and from the um, lymph and actually move it into the bile. There's a process of detox called glucuronidation, and it especially applies to some of the mold and chemical toxins. So those are just some of the basics, but even just drinking clean water uh, can be hugely beneficial. Uh, getting extra sleep can be hugely beneficial. Keeping your brain in that place of calm uh, will actually enhance the immune function fivefold. Those tests have already been run on animals like rats and monkeys and, and even humans to show that when our brain is truly in a place of calm, our immune system is five times more effective at fighting an illness like COVID or Epstein-Barr or even cancer. Awesome. I believe that. Yeah. And our society is the opposite of that. <laughs> right. So true. Uh, and I agree with you about, like, I love the, the glutathione too. And I've seen people have remarkable effects that even just right off the bat with some lots of glutathione. And for folks that have respiratory conditions, we give a lot of nebulized glutathione. And that that's awesome. That I, I've awesome. seen uh, several people that have had chronic infections for months, you know, or, or this chronic cough and it just clears up. So that's been, that's been really fun. And then sauna too. You know, and we have a great sauna on Shop Forum Health. I have one right here in the corner of my room, a Therasaw 360. And, um, you know, I got it when I found out I had Lyme and, and, you know, I tested myself for mycotoxins and all those things too, but that's great because, you know, infrared sauna, that's going to help out with, you know, whether it's, you know, killing, say, bacteria from Lyme, killing cancer cells, um, you know, mold, it, it, it's got a lot of benefits. So that's a good one too. Yeah, I know. Brittany, you told me right before we went on live that, that you've got a new infrared sauna at home too. And I have one in my garage and yeah, uh, yeah that, they're really outstanding, not only to keep the body up and boost the immune system that way, but also using certain wavelengths such as infrared that also dramatically enhances not only detox, but also immune function as well. Absolutely. I've been listening to you two too much. So I, I definitely, I bought one a month ago and it's cut my pain in half. So yeah, I really believe in it. You know, all this talk of binders and mold has really stirred up a couple questions here. Um, so one of them is what at home tests do you recommend for mold if you even recommend one? And which binders would you use if a person has had their gallbladder removed? Hey, why don't you go with that one? Yeah, so honestly, um, I have a gentleman I work with here in Asheville. I'm just really lucky. His name is Rick Bayless. And he's got a place called Healthier Home. So when I find mycotoxins, I literally email him and I say, hey, call Betty Sue or Billy Ray, you know, and <laughs> and like, you know, they'll have they'll basically go out to their house and do a complete home evaluation because where we live there's if you just do like a an air mold test it's obviously going to be positive because we're in western north carolina we're in a temperate rainforest there's mold everywhere outside you know and so um i like to have a professional come in someone who's trained in like environmental basically medicine for the house you know and really just do a full evaluation because it's just it's you know, I can diagnose it and I can help treat it, but actually, you know, coming in and, and fixing the home environment is honestly beyond my, outside of my scope of practice. So I like to work with professionals and that's what they do for a living. Yeah, I'm gonna say uh, my son actually is a, a Texas certified mold inspector. Now he wasn't doing that before I convinced him that, that Central Texas needed some better mold inspectors. But yeah, I think he, like he said, he's a doctor for the house. And uh, he can come in and, and, and help people get to this place of no further mold exposure uh, much more reliably. And sometimes just doing air testing is not that reliable. Uh, that's what a lot of people are trained to do. But honestly, uh, I find that in a probably a majority of cases, it's not that helpful because mostly that only measures what's in the air just for that particular moment in time. Uh, we do some sometimes advise people to try some various do-it-yourself tests. One of them is a dust test uh, called the ERMI or ERMI that uh, we, we often have um, order kits from a, a mold company down here in San Antonio called Envirobiomics. But that's something that people can do on their own. And some people have even found that out and have already brought me in results of that. But uh, yeah, those are what I'd say were the basics. We, we used to recommend that people just buy the little uh, mold trays that you can get and open them up for 60 minutes by convention 
and then close those up and mail them in. There's a company called Immunolytics in Albuquerque that will actually sell those plates and then they will also receive those plates back and render a report of the basic kinds of molds that are landing in that plate during that 60 minute period. That's just kind of quick and dirty. But you can do that in the home, you can do that in the office, you can do that in the school room or even the, the vehicle. You know, when, when we had that uh, hurricane over in Houston a few years back and it rained like 60 inches over a couple of months or a month, the number of vehicles that became moldy after that was astounding. And so people sometimes don't always in, end up thinking about the role of a, a moldy car. Yeah, there's so much to think of. Gentlemen, that's about all the time we have for tonight. I wanna thank you both so much for your time and expertise. I know I learned a lot. I hope our audience did as well. Um, thank you to everyone who joined us this evening. If you'd like to learn more about diagnosing your own mystery symptoms, please visit us at formhealth.com or you can call us at 855-467-5922. Again, that's forumhealth.com. And our number is 855-467-5922. Please share this information with your family and friends. Uh, like both Dr. Bell and Dr. Taylor said tonight, everyone has probably some form of a chronic illness or, or, uh, or some type of virus. So this information is incredibly beneficial to everyone. Uh, also, in the meantime, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. We have great content on all of those platforms on a variety of different subjects. Uh, so make sure you check those out. And again, thank you so much, Dr. Bell and Dr. Taylor. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Forum Health Podcast. Forum Health is the first nationwide network of integrative and functional medicine providers. To learn more about this topic and to find a forum health provider near you, visit forumhealth.com.